0: Welcome to the ministry of Beth Yeshua Messianic Synagogue in Fort Myers, Florida. We hope and pray that this teaching will be a blessing to you. If you would like to support our ministry, please go to our website, www.bethyeshuafla.com to donate online, or we can accept your donation over text. Please text the word GIVE to the number 239-747-7526. Thank you for your support. Blessings and Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. The this sort of reapproaching of salvation, reapproaching of holiness, reapproaching of the atonement. This sort of regrouping and coming back again. Is what we experience. In the narrative, Yeshua took the towel in the basin and washed his, his, the feet, and they were perplexed. And Peter says, well, wash all of me. Or, Why are you washing me? I should wash you. And then he says, well, then wash all of me. Peter wasn't getting it at first, but then he got it. But may the spirit of Adonai that dwells in you quicken your heart and lead you to that same place where you were washed again. I I know nearly all of you in this room and I I think I can say that that nearly all of you have accepted Yeshua as as, as Messiah so you're all cleansed you're all washed you have that but may the spirit of Adonai lead you again to the towel in the basin that you might be washed again that you might be cleansed again and the reason that I start with that this morning is I just felt very pressed that sometimes we've got to get cleaned up a little so we're not distracted by all the clutter whether it's the memories or the, the, the history or the baggage any of this any of this. So that you can be in spiritual newness, if you will, innocence, if you will, as you surrender to the ministry of the Word of God. This thing we're going to do for the next 40 minutes or so is the ministry of the Word of God. What that means is it's, it's this powerful moment whereby Adonai uses the words that i put on a piece of paper the words that i'm going to say somehow adonai uses that to transform you it's not me or my words or my vocabulary or the 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 clever phrasing it's his power he uses my words the same way he used clay to make adam there's nothing glorified in the clay it was dirt earth. But it was his power that brought forth life. These words are nothing more than dirt. But by the power of Adonai, the ministry of the word will bring forth life in you. That's my hope for this morning. Because in one sense, the stakes are all just very, very high. Everything matters. Everything's just very, very important. The next 40 minutes, the next 30 minutes, I've already used up eight minutes. The next minutes are very important. This is the time that I desperately hope that Adonai takes over by His Spirit and by His power to transform you by His glory. Let me ask you, Are you willing to have your life be the crucible where our faith is tested? Are you willing to have your life be the moment of tension, the moment of challenge? In other words, am I open to the prospect of my faith being challenged by the circumstances of my life? Am I open to the prospect of my faith being challenged by the circumstances of my life? There's an ancient quote in Greek philosophy to Socrates. The unexamined life is not worth living. The life that is untested, untried, unproven is not worth living. There are some who may balk at the extreme nature of that statement. It's just a a pithy statement. But in the context of our lives and our faith, the unexamined, the untested faith, the unproven faith is truly a shallow faith. It is monochromatic. It is one-dimensional. And life is anything but one-dimensional. Life is anything but monochromatic. For us in the kingdom, our life is faith. Our life is spiritual. So we could say the untested life is not where Adonai wants us to arrive. The untested faith is not where Adonai wants us to arrive. There's a myth in the kingdom of God that there's a plateau somewhere, right? A plateau is where you go up the hill and there's a flat spot. What was the, the, the Indians, the Hopis and, and some of those Indian tribes in the, in the American Southwest? They would build their houses up on these mesas and up on these cliffs. And it'd be a flat spot on the cliff. And they'd pull the ladder up after they climbed up to their house. Right? They found their flat spot and they were good. And, and there's a myth in the kingdom of God that there's a plateau out there. And we're trying to get to the plateau. But let me say this, that, that it is not an arrival Your faith, your relationship with Adonai, your life's faith is not someplace you're going to arrive at. What does it look like when our faith is tested and examined? It looks like when the spirit that we have been talking to asks us to sacrifice our son. Or when the spirit we have been worshiping takes away our first love. Or when the spirit we have been obeying seemingly abandons us on the eve of our greatest trial on the eve of a trial that will end in death. These are some of the examples from the Bible of faith being tested, of faith being examined, of faith being proven. Here are some of the examples from our modern lives. When a child is emotionally scarred and damaged by abuse. When a spouse does not seem to love anymore when a job which is a daily demonstration of our previous failure professionally, when we've reached a dead end, a health crisis which threatens death or perhaps worse, dementia or these things. These are just a few of the crises that some people are dealing with in this very congregation, in this very community. Our faith is tested, our faith is challenged by these circumstances. In one sense, we think of our faith as nebulous up here but our faith is very practical it's very hands on it's not just what we think or what we believe our faith is what we do and who we are our faith in adonai is 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 existential it's who we are in john 6 we have the narrative of feeding 5000 with bread multiplied by yeshua Yeshua then goes on to talk of himself as the bread of heaven. Talks of himself that we must eat of him, of this bread, that his flesh is the bread of life, the life of the world. And after that, many of the followers who just enjoyed the miracle of the bread, feeding the 5,000, many of his followers began to walk away. They began to grumble at this, and they began to stop following him. And we have this scene where it's as if he looks around and he sees the Talmudim, the twelve. Uh, You have this in your screens. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 67, Yeshua says to the 12, you don't want to leave also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where will we go? If your faith is challenged, if your faith is rocked by your circumstances, where will you go? There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere else to go. Peter goes on to say, you have the words of eternal life. We have trusted and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where do I go from here? This is why the enemy chooses our struggles and our circumstances and our suffering and our hardships as moments to whisper, as moments to accuse, as moments to challenge, to slander and to mock. This is what the enemy does. If the enemy can cause cracks in the foundation of our trust in Adonai, if the enemy can get us to doubt our place in Adonai, or to doubt Adonai himself, then we will be truly alone, lost, and adrift. This is the structure of that accusation. We've talked about the two main questions. Is Adonai in control and is Adonai good? We see these questions over and over and over again in our lives. When we study the Bible, we come to understand the sovereignty of Adonai, his dominion, his authority. When you study the Bible, you come to understand the goodness of Adonai, his kindness, his compassion. You understand that these are both aspects of Adonai. They're both part of his nature, his self. They're both part of the sides of the same coin, if you will. It's his nature. It's his identity. It is the I am. The I am is the I am of sovereignty and goodness. So if the enemy can get us to waver on either of these points, to doubt, to struggle, or to become weak, then our faith begins to fail. And our failing faith is like a heart attack to our soul. The same way the body begins to die the very moment the heart fails, so our spiritual life, our soul begins to die the very moment our faith fails and wavers. I've had in mind to walk through a little bit of the book of Job with you. Because Job is a book which demonstrates this struggle, this tested faith, this examined life. I think there's great wisdom to be gained in the book, but first we must sort of unpack our approach to the book. I think some of you have probably been taught to approach the Bible from primarily a systematic theological perspective. In other words, you study the Bible to learn about God, and to take His attributes, His aspects, His character, and to fit them into a range of definitions. This is Adonai, right? Adonai is love. He's eternal, right? We we have these sort of points on the, the on the uh, on the on the scale. We have this, like in Malachi, uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, I am Adonai, I do not change. We respond to this by saying that Adonai is eternal, immutable. We discuss why he cannot change and why that belief is essential. It's a theological basis to our understanding. But here's the problem with approaching the Bible solely systematically. Effectively, in essence, it's a system. But your lives are not machines that run according to systems your lies are complex unique let me say it this way your life is a story the systematic theology is the opposite of a story but all of you are living a story your story, your personal epic narrative—not just your story, but it's that of your parents and your children, with you as the pivot point. And not there; it's your grandparents and your grandchildren. And for some of us, great-grandchildren or great-grandparents, it is door of a door, and you, in the middle, focus point of the door of a door, generation to generation which is your legacy. Your legacy is not something you have to plan and craft and build and accomplish. Some people would do that. Simply, your legacy is just the product of your living story. You have a story. Your life is a story. Your legacy is the product of that story. If we read the the statement, I, the Lord, do not change, we think, okay, that means he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Sounds very important. Sounds very thorough. But the question is, what does that mean to your story? What does it mean when adonai says i do not change because i submit to you that it means something unique it fits within your story your understanding of that theological high point if you will that theological data point means something unique to you based on your story and that's not bad sometimes we have a fear of We must all believe the same thing. We must all be looking at the same kind of building blocks of our theology. All of our Legos must be the same so that we can build these structures called the kingdom of God. And then it breaks down because none of us are the same. All of us have a story. Now, where this does break down is if you say, because of my story, I don't believe that Adonai does not change. Do you see that? What's happening in that moment is that you are being challenged by your circumstances whether or not Adonai truly does not change. It's a variation on his sovereignty. God is in control. You're being challenged by that statement that God is in control. That statement is being challenged to you And therefore you are doubting or you're wavering on whether or not you think God is in control. You're wavering on whether or not you think God never changes. When Adonai approached Abraham and asked him to offer his only son, his only son whom he loved, he was asked. But we are seldom asked about our struggles and trials. You wake up one day with a diagnosis that will end your life. You wake up one day with a failed relationship, a failed job, with a child that has rebelled and shows animus antipathy towards God and towards you. You wake up with a life that has been redefined and nobody asked you. Nobody would ask you if you would like to have your faith or your trust or your life in Adonai tested, rocked, or even ruined. But that is what happened to Job. And so this is why I said we need to unpack how we approach the book of Job. The book of Job is not a systematic theology. When it talks about the Leviathan, it's not making a theological point. I I wouldn't recommend using Job to discuss and prove doctrine. But rather, the book of Job is a story. And it is a story because each of you our story each of you is a living breathing chaotic messy complicated confusing hot mess of a story let's begin because that's what we needed yeah okay so so here's the theological high point this is a theological 20-pound sledgehammer which I will use to beat you into submission. God is in control. Does that work for you? No, you've got a life that has to figure out what that means to you. You've got to figure out, how is God in control when I just lost my job? How is God in control when I think I've lost my children? How is God in control? I have to figure that out. And that's why life must be tested, so you can figure that out. Let's begin. Eov, in the Hebrew, Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. Now that man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. We begin with a man who is described as blameless. Can any of us look honestly in the mirror and call ourselves blameless? And we see this again. In fact, a few verses later, verse 8, Job chapter 1. There was no one like him on the earth. This is Adonai speaking of Job. And he says, there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and spurns evil. Some translations go so far as to say he was the most righteous on the earth. Job was so righteous that he would make sacrifices on behalf of his children. It says he did this continually. He is without fault. In Job chapter 1, verse 6, we have this. One day the sons of God came to present themselves before Adonai, and the Satan also came with them. And what follows is a narrative that is difficult for us to understand. First of all, it appears there is some sort of procession in the court of heaven, and the angels of God are coming to present themselves, Why would an angel present themselves? The sages teach us that the angels are messengers. They bring messages to us from Adonai, and they take messages of us to Adonai. So we have them, they're kind of like in the midpoint. Remember the Jacob's ladder. The angels were going up and down the ladder. So what is it that the, the sons of God, or the angels, if you will, are presenting when they stand before God? Well, the sages teach us that they're presenting us. They're representing us. It's like you have an advocate here. And the Satan also came with them. Notice here it says, the Satan. and This is the Tree of Life uh, family Bible uh, version, Tree of Life version. It says here, the Satan. In the Hebrew, it is clearly and absolutely the Satan. Uh, in the in the in the Hebrew, uh, go to the next frame. Do you have Hebrew on your screen? Vayahi, Hayom, Vayom Vaya, Bohu, Bene Ha Elohim, Lahi Yatsev, Al Adonai, and then we get to this part, Gam Hasatan in the Hebrew. Gam Hasatan Betocham, which means and the Satan, Hasatan, the Satan, came with them. Why would he be called the Satan? As if it's a title and not a name. In the Bible, we certainly have descriptions of the anti-Messiah. We have personification of evil, of wickedness, of harrowing and frightening supernatural badness. We have that. And anyone who's had a personal encounter with the demonic realm, of this, there is a personification of evil in form that is terrifying there's no no question a truly horrific experience evil has a personal face but what is being described here in job is not that what is being described here in job is something different the first hint is in the language here the satan the word satan in hebrew satan means adversary It means the one who opposes, the one who's uh, your adversary, the one who's hostile to you. But do you remember the story of Balaam, the prophet who was hired and commissioned by Balak to curse Israel? Adonai opposed him on the way, standing in front of him as an angel from Numbers chapter 22. Uh, The angel of Adonai said to him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? Behold, I came as an adversary because your way before me is a reckless one. So let's look at that in the Hebrew. If you could bring up the Hebrew, next slide. Uh, just the second half of the verse, it says, uh, Hine yatsati See the lesatan there in the Hebrew? Behold, I came out as an adversary because your way was perverse before me, says Adonai. I came out to oppose you. I came out as your adversary. And the word in the Hebrew is lesatan. The same word as the adversary in Job. Don't misunderstand this. I'm not equating Adonai with with Satan. What I'm doing is trying to get into the language so we understand what's being said here in Job. Yes, we have examples of the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, as horrific, as demonic, as frightening, as evil, as wicked. There's no question of that but I see something different in the narrative of Job. The word for Satan, the Satan in Hebrew, it is a title. It is a role and a function. The Satan is the adversary. In Betashit Genesis, chapter 2, we've talked about this a lot. It is the etzer the suitable companion in Hebrew, the Adam. no suitable companion was found for Adam, and so Adonai created Eve out of the rib. And it says that no suitable companion, the etzer konegdo, which means a companion opposite me, a companion that is opposite to me. Our spouse should never become hostile. Our spouse should never become a hostile opposite to me unless I need my spouse to be a hostile opposition. Which, let's be honest, sometimes that's necessary. If I'm doing something wrong, I need someone to oppose me. If you're a single person, and you're in that intimate relationship with Adonai as your husband, he will oppose you by his spirit, and that's right, and that's proper, and that's good. That role is the same role that's happening here in Job. This is one of the roles of the Hasatan, he actually has a job description, he actually has a function that he has to to play. I believe, and this is my personal theology, I believe it's like compartmentalization, that there is an evil and wickedness to this personification, but there's also a functionality which is necessary. It is that oppositional functionality In other words, we have the role of the ancient serpent. His purpose is to be the adversary to the court, if you will. You might say you have blessed Scott with every good thing, but will he be faithful if his wife becomes ill or his children become ill? He is that challenge. He is that accuser. We certainly have, on the other hand, the personifications of evil, the anti-messiah in the Herods and the Antiochuses and the Narrows. Uh, throughout history we have the one who will incite and lead people to believe they can overthrow Adonai yes these are also his roles and his functions this is who he is but we also have this the sons of God came and the Satan was there among them and Adonai sets up this dialogue verse 7 of Job chapter 1 Adonai says to the Satan, where have you come from? The Satan responded to Adonai and said, from roaming the earth and from walking about on it. There is a sense of exploring, seeing what there is to see. Uh, In the early years of this country, Lewis and Clark uh, did an exposition uh, from Missouri to the Pacific Ocean to see what there was to see, to explore the land. Imagine if in your life the Satan was wandering about to see what he could see exploring if you will looking at your character to see if there were any areas of accusation this is his job description this is his function adonai says to the satan verse eight did you notice my servant job there's no one like him on the earth a blameless and upright man who fears god and spurns evil there's a very real sense in here and this is probably one of the first big questions we have out of the book of job there's a very real sense in here that adonai is setting up job that he's, 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 he's setting him up for something. He's volunteering him to be tested. Verse 9, the Satan responded to Adonai saying, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, his household, and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has. He will certainly curse you to your face. Here's the essence of Satan the Satan's accusation that Job's faithfulness and his righteousness are tied to his blessings. Indeed, we see that this man was incredibly wealthy. Is it possible that he would not be so righteous if he was poor or afflicted? Verse 12, Adonai says to the Satan, everything he has is in your hand, only do not extend your hand against him. So the Satan departed from the presence of Adonai. And here we have this perplexity that Adonai would be willing to have Job experience the wrath of the Satan. So how do, how do, we, how do we grapple with this? How do we understand this? There's a court in heaven which is similar to our courts <clears throat> in that there are essential functions which exist. There is a judge, an advocate, an adversary. There are witnesses to the proceedings. There are testimonies and evidence that's given, information. We think of Elohim as a judge. In one sense, he is the judge. But he is a judge who is also an advocate. He is a judge that is also for us in that moment, in that place. Because what we have with Adonai is he considers and keeps our best interests at heart. And this is the conclusion that that at least I have to come to when I try to manage and and grapple with all this stuff and, and, and filter it through the experience of my life that at some point there has to be That Adonai is good at the root of all this. Because as I've said, where else will I go? I personally believe the Satan has schemes to corrupt our spirit. I do believe there is evidence for animus and hostility in temptation and corruption and deception, in lies and accusations in the same way that Yeshua allowed Yehuda, Judas, the betrayer, allowed him his role in the community. He was the keeper of the money. Likewise, Adonai has a purpose in Hasatan. In spite of his animus and in spite of his hostility and in spite of his apparent hatred of the people of God, the Satan is still used to fulfill his role and purpose. Let me ask you a question. In three and a half years from now, 2021, fast forward three and a half years, I'm going to describe the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God in three and a half years, in my little scenario here, will be vibrant, will have entered into a season of profound holiness, will be known for righteousness, for purity, for single-mindedness of the truth. That in three and a half years, the kingdom of God will be known in this country as a peculiar people, separate. That in three and a half years, the kingdom of God will be known in this country by its good works, its love, and its kindness, all in the context of the truth of God. Now, What if I were to tell you that it will take, for example, a Biden presidency in order for us to get there? Because this is the nature of hardship and difficulty. It transforms us differently than blessings and peace. Will blessings and peace transform you? Oh, yeah. If I had a lot of money right now, my life would be transformed, it'd be different. Sorry, just would be. I don't know, am I the only person in the room? Okay, all right. Can I get a witness? <laughs> yes, if I was wealthy, if I had an awful lot of money, my life would look different right now. Well, can't we accept the fact that if we go through hardship and difficulty and even suffering, that in three and a half years our life will look different? That we will be transformed? See, the Satan is there to challenge our faith, to rock our world, to rattle us, to shake us deeply so we can enter into a more wholesome and whole-bodied faith without an eye. There are various places around the world that are known for grapes and winemaking. France, Italy, Napa Valley, Willamette Valley, Oregon, places like this. They're known for, for growing grapes and making wine. I remember reading once that you don't want grapes to be too pampered when you're growing them to make wine. Because you want some hardship, you want some difficulty, you want some heat, you want a little bit of drought, possible lack of water, rocky soil, this kind of thing. Because what it does is it brings out the complexities in the flavors of the grapes. It makes the grapes taste unusual. It brings out depth in the flavor of the wine. In similar fashion, our faith is tested in part by the enemy under the permission of Adonai in order to bring out the depths of our faith. This is the experience of Job. Job is an example of an extreme scenario. We have a man who's the most righteous on all the earth. When when, when something bad happens to you, when you get a diagnosis, when, when something happens to a relationship or a job, what's the first thing you say? It's not fair. I didn't deserve this. It's not fair. What's Job allowed to say? It's not fair, because he was the most righteous on the earth. At some point, is there a little voice in the back of your mind that knows, yeah, maybe I do in one sense kind of deserve this hardship. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe there's some accusation there. Who knows? But for Job, there was no accusation. He was truly the most righteous man on the earth, according to the testimony of Adonai. And in that moment... He is afflicted by the enemy for what purpose why do bad things happen to good people it's the the question the dilemma that has to be answered why do bad things happen to good people because Adonai is allowing it to bring out the depths of your faith the depths of your experience all of my theology, all of my belief in God, everything that I know about God is shaped through my story. Shall I tell you about my late 20s when life was good? Shall I tell you about my early 30s when I was making a lot of money? Shall I tell you about when I was doing this project for, for this group over here or I was traveling around the country? Shall I tell you about the good stories in my life? It's kind of boring. Or shall I tell you about the difficulties? Shall I tell you about the hardships? Because my faith is defined by those things. And let me take it one step further that my faith is defined by the accusations that go along with the hardships. The enemy has you in his sights and he's going to accuse and he's going to challenge you. And in one sense, that's wrong. There's an evil to that. I get that. But in another sense, it is part of what Adonai uses to build up your faith. Imagine if Eve had overcome the deception of the enemy. Now she knows. She knows truth. She knows what is right. She knows what is good. And then we have to ask this. We have to ask the question, well, why did Yeshua have to take on this face-to-face accusation and temptation? Why did Yeshua have to be tempted? Why was he tempted? If not, to give us an example. He was tempted. We're going to be tempted. He was slandered and mocked. We're going to be slandered and mocked. By the enemy but what I want you to do is not become indignant at that what I want you to do is allow that to percolate in your relationship with Adonai and allow your faith to grow even in that crucible and this for me is is how I reconcile this perplexity that Adonai would give the enemy permission what is it that Yeshua said to Capha? The enemy has asked to sift you. Right? The enemy has asked to sift you, but I have prayed for you that you might overcome. And how was that overcoming proven when Yeshua walked along the shore with, with Yeshua and said to, to when Yeshua walked along the shore with Peter and said to him, Do you love me? you love me. Not I love you. It's okay. I'm going to help you feel better. I love you. No. Do you love me? Because now I understand my love better. Because my love is growing in the crucible of all of this. My own failures, the mocking, and the slander. Romans chapter 8. You have a Romans chapter 8? Who shall separate us from the love of Messiah? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Make no mistake that some of those will come directly at the hand of the enemy, the accuser, the Satan. And there is full animus in there. But nothing shall separate us from the love of Messiah. Next frame, please. As it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter isn't that a description of job only his life was slave saved next frame but in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us we are more than overcomers we are more than victorious we are more than conquerors through him overcoming us for i am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers they'll separate us. Verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Go back one frame, please. Rewind one frame. Verse 38, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities. Why should angels or principalities separate us from Adonai? Well, if they're demonic, Things present, nor things to come, nor powers. What powers are going to separate us from Adonai? Powers of evil and wickedness. Yes, these things are given permission and given reign on the earth to mess with our lives. We're going to look at Job for a little bit here, maybe next week, and, 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 and talk about this. But what I want you to start with is an understanding The role of the Satan as an accuser is actually used by Adonai to bring about his good purposes on the earth. And to that end, the enemy is nothing that we need to be afraid of, rather fear God. Because nothing shall separate us from the love that is in Yeshua. Shabbat Shalom.